Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. The sun is shining, it seems like, for the first time in about a week or so, 70-some degrees outside, and the forecast is dry for the next week or so. Something to look forward to. All right, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. There is a piece in the Washington Post today written by Danielle Pletka that has heads exploding all over the Internet. The headline is, I never considered voting for Trump in 2016. I may be forced to vote for him this year. And already, if you if you check out the Internet, there's, there's people, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe that anybody could say that they might consider voting for Donald Trump. Actually, I think that there's a lot of people out there that have a, some of the same concerns that uh, she is talking about. We're going to discuss that probably in the second half of, of this hour, probably right after 12. If you want to get a head start on it, you want to see the piece I'm referring to, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. Um, I, I seriously wonder how many people are out there that really feel like the author of this particular opinion piece does, but maybe are afraid to say it in public because they're going to be ridiculed by folks in the mainstream media. And maybe they're afraid to say this to pollsters as well. In any event, if you want to get a head start on that piece, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the program. All right. Sometimes there are people who make decisions and then, in hindsight, come to believe the decisions are wrong. Or, or in hindsight, should come to believe the decisions are, are wrong. Now, one of the classic examples of just uh, insanity is, is Tony Evers. Remember a week or so ago, he says, well, I, I wouldn't have done anything different in handling the riots in Kenosha. And we talked about this in last week's program. That's one of the most stupid things that I've ever heard come out of the mouth of a public official. I wouldn't have changed anything. Well, that, that's that's really wonderful that the governor thinks that way. But maybe the $50 million in damages and maybe the 30 um, businesses that were destroyed and who knows how many injuries, you know, maybe – just maybe the governor should consider that he didn't handle things very well. And I guess what troubles me about that, not only was that Evers screwed up, but that he apparently refuses to acknowledge that he screwed up, which makes me wonder about what's going to happen moving forward, because trust me, you know, there's going to be some interesting and troubling issues that might happen in Wauwatosa because it's been over six months now since you had the shooting involving the Wauwatosa police officer, Joseph Mensa and the, the 17-year-old. It's already sparked all this unrest. At some point in time, the authorities are going to have to announce their decision. And if the officer is cleared, you know, some people aren't going to be happy about that. If the officer is charged, some people aren't going to be happy about that. If he's charged and ultimately acquitted, 
uh, of any charges. People aren't going to be happy about that. I guess what's troubling to me is if Evers doesn't understand how badly he screwed up his response in Kenosha, you know, what, what's going to happen moving forward? Hopefully he's not going to do the same thing. Then, of course, you've got the same decision in Kenosha. At some point in time, they're going to have to make a charging decision on the, the officer who, who shot Jacob Blake. Will he be charged? What's going to happen? Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old, there's going to have to be, you know, some charging decision ultimately made there. No, he's been charged initially, but but what happens if, if he ends up being acquitted? And I guess it's troubling to me because if Governor Evers doesn't realize how badly he screwed up the situation moving forward, it's impossible for him to learn. All right, so that's what happens sometimes. You have public officials that completely and totally screw up, and they're ref- they refuse to acknowledge that they got it wrong. On the other hand, there's public officials that make decisions and continue to believe that they were right, and maybe they have a point. Now, reopening UW-Madison has been, well, problematic to say the least. You get all these college kids that, that come back. Madison said, okay, we're not going to go virtual. We are going to have in-person instruction. So all these people came back to Madison, and what they did was despite the fact that these college kids were told, you, you got to social distance, you got to wear masks, you can't hang out, we, we know by and large what happened is their college kids, hey, there's a kegger down the block, we're going. And, and predictably, what happened is all sorts of students ended up getting sick. That That's just the result. Now, the good news is, most of the, the students that got sick, because they're in this age group where if you get COVID-19, you're not, as a general rule, going to have a really bad reaction to it. You know, in some cases, you don't even know that you've gotten sick. But lots of lots of COVID-19. Thankfully, there's not a spike in hospitalizations. There's not a spike in deaths. But college kids behaving like college kids, ignoring what they were told to do, they get sick. And now Madison is looking at a, at a quarantine situation for at least the next couple weeks. All right. So the chancellor at UW-Madison, Rebecca Blank, and I've been a critic of her from time to time. She has this tense, tense discussion where, you know, she's talking with the the faculty senate and the student uh, academic staff. And, you know, people are are complaining to her. They're saying, well, you you know, what, what were you doing opening up the school? How stupid a decision did you make? And she said, well, look, she said, no, I. I would do the same thing if I had the chance all over again. She said, first of all, you know, what what happened is we set up all these protocols to stop the spread of COVID in the classrooms. We have largely succeeded in that. It's if kids, students are getting sick, it's not because they're in the classrooms. It's because they're doing all this other stuff outside of the classrooms. She said, second, even if we had gone to virtual learning, even if we had gone to virtual learning on campus, that wasn't going to change the dynamic. Large numbers of the kids live off campus anyways. 
Madison is their home away from home. They were going to come back to the city anyways. They were going to be here regardless. So this idea that if we had gone to virtual learning, the idea that that would have stopped the spread of COVID, her point is that's ridiculous because they're in off-campus housing. They're, They're going to be doing what we told them not to do anyways. She said, look, this was inevitable. And no, I don't apologize for going away from in per- from going to in-person learning because I think in-person learning is much better. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand that we're working through our problems with COVID-19, but you know what? I, I don't blame the chancellor at UW. I, I mean, I'm the guy that's been saying, look, you got to trust people to try to do the right thing. And if they don't, it's not the fault of UW-Madison. It's not the fault of the school for reopening. It's, if you want to put blame, it's the fault of the kids, the students, the people who decide that, you know, we don't care. We're going to behave in an irresponsible fashion. But no, I don't think they should have to apologize for reopening. And her point that, you know, the, the students were going to be here anyways. So what difference does it make if... You know, we have a classroom open or not. They're still going to be in Madison. They're still going to be making the decision to hang out and to go to the keggers and all that type of stuff. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the extent you have a COVID outbreak at UW-Madison, I don't think it's the fault of the school officials. It's the fault, as a general rule, of the students who decided, well, we don't care about the different rules. We're going to go to that party with 200 people and surprise follows surprise. We're going to get sick. Not much the school could have done about it. Is there? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I, I did this this criticism of the chair, Chancellor at UW Madison for deciding we're going to hold classes in person. I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, here, here's here's the deal. People were coming back to Madison anyways. I mean, my my niece is a senior at San Diego State. Okay, there. They've gone virtual. Well, most of the campus is is living there anyways. I mean, so it's not like the vast majority of people were going to stay home. They were coming to Madison. There's huge off-campus housing. The problem isn't that UW had in-person classes because if they trace where people got sick, almost none of it comes from actual in-class instruction. What it happens is, okay, they, they get there and they decide that they're going to go to parties. Well, that's that was just inevitable. And I guess to some extent, if you know what 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 is the idea? We we tell people we want you to. You know, we, we don't want you to go to these large gatherings. I mean, they've got all these rules. I mean, you've got a mask ordinance in Madison that says anytime you go to somebody else's house, you're supposed to wear a mask. Okay, well, nobody's paying attention to that. They're ignoring that, and the kids get sick. Oh, okay, good news is, for most of them, they get sick. There's no sort of bad, there's not going to be a bad consequence. They'll get better. They'll develop something towards herd immunity. But it's not the chancellor's fault for saying we're going to open school. Let's start with uh, Jacqueline in Madison. Jacqueline, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, 
I am a senior at UW this year, and I just wanted to say that I had a few in-person classes um, for the first couple weeks of school, and I think everything that the administration has done um, has been really valuable. They've put, obviously, a lot of effort into it, and they recognize how important in-person classes are, and I know a lot of students, including myself, really appreciate that. What What's the problem? Why, why, in your opinion, are we having the outbreak? Are we seeing the outbreak that we're seeing at UW-Madison that, that by the way, isn't is worse at UW-Madison than it is at a lot of the other schools in the state. What's going on out there? Um, I, I wish I had, you know, obviously the right answer. I think that um, there's a lot of different factors going into it. I think a lot of what you said is right. Um, you know, students, they're going to, they're, you know, kids are going to be kids, as, as terrible of a, you know answer as it is. But um, I think that there's just a lot of people here Um at walking around campus, everybody wears a mask. I mean, really, truly, it does feel like people are taking that seriously. So right. um, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's um, it's obviously not an easy answer. I think there's a lot that goes into it. Right. Um, have Do you know a lot of people who've gotten sick out there? Um, I know maybe a handful of people that have tested positive, but honestly, I I only know one other person that has um, tested positive and had symptoms. Okay, so a lot of asymptomatic stuff going on there, um, which I guess mm-hmm. is a, is, is a, I mean, it's a good thing because it means people, if you're going to get sick, you'd rather be asymptomatic than have to be in the hospital, as silly as that sounds. But right, like, yeah. Okay, so are you are you uncomfortable? Do you feel scared being out there and and going to classes? Uh, no, I don't feel uncomfortable at all. Um, I've had, you know, one of my professors for my in-person class, he um, volunteered and he bought us all KN95 masks, and everybody's taking it really seriously, um, especially when we're in class, which Got is it. really important, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Thanks a lot for the call, Jacqueline. I appreciate it. Yeah, and see, and that's, I mean, look, that, that's, the, that's the situation. I'm sure this is playing out in a lot of the big college towns you know across the the country and again i think you know rebecca blank makes a very very good point when she says it's the people are going to come back to madison anyways they've got leases on their apartments um they're, they're going to be living in their sorority houses etc etc they're, they're coming back they were going to be here anyways so the question becomes is the in-person instruction, is that going to be the fact, if we all agree, and I would think that we could all agree, that that's the better way to go. I mean, that, that it's, it's better to have the teachers in the classroom. It's better to have the kids in the classroom. It's just a more constructive and positive way to learn. I think, I think that, I don't think you can even argue about that. So the, the fact that because people on the outside are going to the large parties or, or doing whatever, that's not a reason not to go ahead and try the in-person, you know, instruction that's going on there. And I think, you know, that that's a huge factor. Jeff, we have a junior at Madison, and Chancellor Blank is correct. The off-campus kids will still be there. During the entire pandemic, difficult decisions had to be made with the information we have. Most assume that this has happened, but what is wrong with letting the students be adults and learn from their action? The school has been on top of this and taking action before it's spreads too far into the community. Um, Jeff, I'm glad they had classes open because all those kids got tested and now they are in fact in quarantine. Um, Jeff, most parents I know with kids at Madison feel that if you're concerned about your student becoming sick, you should opt to learn online. Otherwise, they say, let the kids go to school. And I think I told this story earlier. I have a, I have a friend who has a 
a kid um, who's a sophomore, and she has an underlying health condition. And it's it's one of those situations where this is a 20 or 21 year old that you, you don't want to have them get COVID-19 because because the underlying health condition, you're concerned that it might be you know a lot worse than it would be for a normally healthy person. So in that particular case, her daughter is, is at home. I mean, her daughter is, is participating in the online stuff because. It's just not a safe environment given her underlying health condition. But the truth of the matter is, and Jacqueline, our caller from UW Madison, was just saying this. You know, she she knows people that have tested positive. She she knows almost nobody that has any sort of significant symptoms as a result of this. Uh, Jeff, my son goes to UW Stevens Point and has friends that go to several different UW schools, including Madison. And the people that uh, thought these parties don't go on at school, um, they that that thought through these parties don't go, they just made a, a few bucks out, out of this. Well, I think there's an element of that. Jeff, I have relatives in rural New York State who report that where colleges are totally virtual, temporary ordinances strictly prohibit rentals to students, so they're required to stay home versus coming anywhere near campus. Um, consider those draconian rules. Well, well, that's it. Unless you were going to close Madison down, and say to all the landlords out there that you're not going to be able to, to come into town, you, you know, there, there's really probably nothing you could do. Now, interestingly, and I wish I had a better answer for this, if you look at other schools like UWM, which has a large student population that lives off campus on the east side and has a large on-campus population, UWM is not having anywhere near the problems that say that UW-Madison has. Now, I, I don't know why that is. I don't know that UW-Madison is a bigger party school than UW-Milwaukee, but at the same time, it, it's just the reality. I, I think you know Madison had some different and unique things, but from the perspective of the chancellor, this isn't a Tony Evers moment where you say, I can't believe she says she wouldn't do anything differently. I think she was right to open up school, and if she presented was presented with the chance to do it all over again, I would encourage her to do anything differently. And you know what? They're going to get through this. Back with more in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The votes are in, and now it's time to find out the winners. The Wisconsin Sports Awards are coming, and they'll be unlike any WSAs before. Tune in September 28th as we broadcast the Wisconsin Sports Awards right here on 620 WTMJ. The ninth annual Wisconsin Sports Awards are presented by Gruber Law Offices, Cousin Subs, Potosi Brewing Company, and American Family Insurance. It all happens Monday, September 28th at 6 o'clock on 620 WTMJ. Jay. All right, Gru, back from now a married man. You just look completely and totally different. It's just, it's just, it, so the, the wedding came off without a hitch in Escanaba, Michigan and all that? Yeah, I mean, we were up there for five days, and the one day that we had scheduled the wedding for was uh, the one day where it was rainy and overcast. It was on and off, and uh, it was raining for probably the th- 25 minutes that we had the ceremony but it was it was fine we were actually we had a lot of good cover from tree cover and and other things so we weren't standing in the rain and and, and the bottom line is the wedding came off nobody stood up and objected or anything like that not a soul no it went off without a hitch okay well we're glad to have you back all right 49 you know what you know what you want to take a shot at what the significance of the number 49 is as we sit here today (laughs) i have i have no idea all right all right 
Here's the deal. 49. There are seven days in a week. 49 days until the election. 49 days until the election. So that would be seven weeks. Now, I understand that there there is early voting and some people can, you know, a number of people will vote before Election Day itself. But seven weeks from today, Americans will be going to the polls to select decide, you know, who will be the next president of the United States? Will Donald Trump be replaced? Will Joe Biden be the president? Will the Green Party candidate win? And what do we do with the Senate and Congress? So it is seven weeks. And it is starting, I was going to say starting to be the silly season. I I will tell you, it is already the silly season. People are already on on their last nerve. I, I wish you could see the hundreds of texts in emails that I receive in a given day from people, and it's all over the map. If you don't think that Donald uh, Trump is the Antichrist, and and you don't present that, oh, if you don't say this guy is evil, etc., then then you get all sorts of just really like nasty stuff from the left. And on the other hand, if you criticize some of the stuff he does and say, "Gosh, I can't understand why in the world he would sit down and interview with Bob Woodward," and you get the stuff, why don't you go work for MSNBC? So people are all over the map. There is no sense of nuance out there anymore. And if you look at the polls that they show. President Trump is losing. He's losing in the various battleground states. Um, he's losing in, in the polls in states that he absolutely won and perhaps surprises in 2016. If you look at the polls, the election is, is all over. If you believe the polls, the headlines, it's on a daily basis. It's, oh, this is one Trump gaffe after another. I mean, you, you have this, you know, they're signing these peace treaties in the Middle East. <laughs> Somebody sent me a text saying, well, it's great that they're signing these peace treaties, but what's he doing to help the starving people in Yemen? It's kind of like, okay, you know, we, we, we can't give the man credit for anything. And I understand that Trump is, is polarizing, but I seriously believe that the support for President Trump is deeper and broader than is being picked up in these polls. And there's a piece in today's Washington Post. And again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story. It's written by uh, Danielle Pletka. She's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I want to share with you just a portion of this. And then I want to discuss whether you think there's some merit to this. Headline is, I never considered voting for Trump in 2016. I may be forced to vote for him this year. In 2016, I never considered voting for Donald Trump. The Johnny-come-lately Republican and his nasty schoolyard jibes seemed to me to be the worst degradation of American politics. But in 2020, I may be forced to vote for the man. Hear me out. I don't need a bumper sticker or a lawn sign to convey my distaste for Trump. His odious tweets, his chronic mendacity and general crudeness over the past four years, like an oil slick that besperches all it touches, Trump himself has managed to obscure his administration's more substantive accomplishments, such as focusing the world's attention on China's threat to global security and brokering a new era of Middle Eastern peace. 
I fear Trump's erratic, personally driven decision making. His contempt for NATO is alarming, as is his delusion that he can manage rogue leaders. I don't doubt that his eagerness to withdraw U.S. troops from their stability missions in places like Afghanistan and Iraq will encourage conflict and terrorism. And I fret that his bizarrely isolationist attitudes towards international trade will hurt the U.S. economy and splinter the global trading juggernaut that over the past century has brought the world amazing prosperity, lifting hundreds of millions of people out of extreme poverty. Okay, so, so far, it sounds like it's a Joe Biden campaign speech, right? But then she writes, but I fear the leftward lurch of the Democratic Party even more. What is there to be afraid of? I fear that former Vice President Joe Biden will be a figurehead president, incapable of focus or leadership, who would run a teleprompter presidency with the words drafted by his party's hard-left ideologues. I fear that a Congress with Democrats controlling both houses, almost certainly ensured by a Biden victory in November, would begin an assault on the institutions of government that preserve the nation's small-D democracy. This could include the abolition of the filibuster, creating an executive legislative monolith of unlimited political power, an increase in the number of Supreme Court seats to ensure a liberal supermajority, passage of devastating economic measures such as the Green New Deal, nationalized health care, and the dismantling of U.S. borders and the introduction of socialist-inspired measures that will wreck an economy still recovering from the pandemic shutdown. I fear the grip of Manhattan-San Francisco progressive mores that increasingly increasingly permeate my daily newspapers, my children's curriculums, and my local government. I fear the virtue-signaling bullies who increasingly try to dominate or silence public discourse and encourage my children to think that their being white is intrinsically evil that America's founding is akin to original sin. I fear the growing self-censorship that guides many people's every utterance and the leftist vigilantes who view every personal choice from recipes to hairdos through their twisted prisms of politics and culture. An entirely Democratic-run Washington urged on by progressive media allies would no doubt only accelerate those trends. And then it goes on and on. And she concludes by writing, with Donald Trump, I know what I'm getting. He wears his sin on the outside. For good and ill, he runs his administration he, run, he runs his administration. I worry more about his incompetence and vacillation than I do about any dictatorial tendencies. On the other hand, however, I am increasingly persuaded that what I see in Joe Biden, who I first met in 1992 and I believe is a decent person, would be merely would merely be the facade for an administration fully backed by both houses of Congress with an agenda that would seriously damage the nation. The corrosive left-wing extremism of 2020 would be ascendant while a smiling President Biden assures the country that everything is fine. Trump, for all his flaws, could be all that stands between our imperfect democracy and the tyranny of the woke left. The tyranny of the woke left. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I don't know how this election is going to turn out. At some point in time, I guess I'll make a prediction in the next seven weeks. Right now, if you look at all the polls and you believe the polls, Trump is behind with no chance to catch up. I don't think that that is the case. By that, I mean the the no chance to catch up. I think there are a lot of people out there who are hesitant 
to come forward and talk about their support. They might even say that they support Biden or whatever because they, they don't want to be ridiculed by some of their more woke friends. They don't want to be accused of being Neanderthals or racists or whatever. But you know what? I think there's a lot of people out there that have some of the same concerns that this writer is expressing that, okay, we have problems with Trump. Okay, we we, we don't like the tweets. We don't like the, the lying. We don't like what she describes as his general crudeness. But you know what? We're scared of what Biden would do or what he would allow his allies to do. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is there something to this? And I candidly, I, I believe there is. I think that the support for President Trump, and I'm not saying at this point in time that I think he's going to win, but I think the support for President Trump is broader and deeper than is being shown in a lot of these polls. What do you think? We discuss in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We we started off the segment. I gave you the number 49, which is the number of days until the election. Let me give you another number, 14. 14 days from today is the first presidential debate, which I think, I I actually think is going to have a lot of significance. Tom in Waterford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, thanks for taking the call. Um, You know, 2016 really is proof in the pudding of where they were at with their polls and where they're probably still at. Uh, a lot of people that I talk to aren't as bolsterous or, um, you know, as, as enthusiastic as I am as it being a huge Trump supporter, but they're still going to vote for him. And a lot of people are really quiet about it. So I do think we have the silent majority on our side for well, sure. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, I, I think there's, I, I mean, I, that, that's kind of what happened. Now, now, 2016 was different than 2020. I mean, I, I, I continue to believe, and again, I understand I was one of the many, many, many pundits who did not see Donald Trump winning. I, I think in, in 2020, in 2016, what happened is he was the unknown quantity, and, and people just, you know, decided to either stay home or, you know, we, we'll, we'd rather take a chance on him than Hillary Clinton, who we do not like. There is a different dynamic there. Okay, here's some text before we go back to the phones. Jeff, in my opinion, President Trump will likely win. Um, the article lays out exactly why. People in my circle have a clear distaste for him, but are more afraid of the Democratic agenda. I personally am a Vice President Biden supporter, and I don't agree with her narrative, but many of my friends do. She's hit a nerve for sure. Um, well, that's it. Um, Jeff, love your show for 20 plus years. I'm a silent plus support Trump. I'm a silent Trump supporter. I'm frankly afraid to admit that I support the president. I sat out the 2016 election, but the past four years have pushed me off the fence for many of the same reasons as in the article you read. Thanks for all that you do. You are welcome. Jeff, I agree. I'm 26. I'm a diehard Republican, yet I cannot publicly claim that I will be voting for Trump on social media or in conversations because my peers make me feel small. I will automatically be made to be out, made, I will automatically be made to be, made out to be an anti-female, racist, unkind person. I think it's sad of that. Um, Jeff, Biden could perform a voodoo ritual on the White House lawn, and it still wouldn't come close to all the low-down things Trump has done. That is from Jeremy. Um, It's uh, Jeff, my gosh, you can tell that was written by a lean, heavy right Republican big time. Um, All right. Well, okay. I'm just saying I, I think that there's people 
out there that feel this way. Uh, let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Hey, my thoughts are the, the uh, well, the polls are showing Trump losing, uh, like always, but uh, I think there's really underlying Trump support, and especially in Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota. You look at cities like Kenosha, Madison, and Minneapolis all burning down while the Democratic leaders there are sitting on their hands. Yeah. And I think a lot of these people are starting to look at this and go, you know, I, I really want some law and order. And I think that's where part of that's going to be the law and order and the uh, the uh, fact that uh, Trump is actually doing something for COVID. He's got the, the PPE and all that stuff out there. He's doing the respirators. He's doing everything else. Who else would do anything more? I firmly believe that there is an underlying support for Trump. Well, it, On the it, other it, hand, true, there's... There's, there's more Biden signs than anyone else out there, but if you put a Trump sign in front of your house, you might get toilet paper. Well, that, that, or, or worse. I mean, that, that, that's the thing. Uh, Jeff, I totally agree with the writer. I did not vote in 2016 because I could not determine who I thought was less dangerous. But Trump's actions show me he is much better this time. I wholly support him now, but I do hate the tweets. And I think that's, you know, I think a, a lot of people, you know, feel exactly that way. Jeff, uh, the author pretty much nailed it in her article. Um, you know, so, you know, there there you have it. Jeff, you failed to mention that the American Enterprise Institute is an influential right-wing think tank. Tell the whole story. I, okay, well, so there, there you go. She explains, the author explains in this article that she didn't vote for Trump in 2016, but why she's going to do it. So there you have the the whole story. I guess, look, I, I don't know how this is all going to play out. And I do think that there's a lot of stuff that, that's going on now. You've got seven weeks between now and the election. I do think that, there, that this law and order thing, and I understand you say law and order, and people automatically say, oh, that, that's just, it's a, that's a dog whistle for, for racist. I mean, if, if, if you're saying that you believe that people shouldn't be allowed to burn down American cities, you're, you're essentially racist. Well, sorry, I, I, I don't buy that. I think for a lot of people, you look at what happened and continues to happen in Portland. You look at what happened in Minneapolis. You look at what happened in Kenosha. You look at what might happen anywhere, and I think that there is a degree of, of concern. And thinking that, gee, it's wrong to have $50 million of damage and 30 businesses burned to the ground, I'm sorry. I don't accept the idea that that makes you you racist. So you've got that law and order issue that's out there. You do have the COVID stuff. And who knows? Look, I, I, I'm not a scientist. I don't play one on the radio. Who knows You know what's, what's going to be going on and, and what coronavirus is going to look like by November. But for the sake of argument, okay, you got 49 days. What if what if 35 days from now, two weeks before the election, you get FDA approval for one or more of these vaccines that are in some of the latter stages and, and you get, you know, effective vaccines for COVID taking that issue potentially off the table? I just I, I throw it out there. It's a very, very volatile time for anybody who thinks they know the outcome of the election. I, I'd say hang tight. Again, I'm, I'm not making any sort of predictions and I don't dismiss the pollsters like like some. Some people do. I'm just saying that I think I think the support for the president is perhaps more quiet and I think it's broader and I think it's deeper than is being picked up in some of these public opinion polls. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. 
And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Tony, does Greg Matzik know something we don't? Should we be calling the bookies in Las say, Vegas? I mean, I is this one Vegas. where you, you bet the house? Uh, you, you and I both looked at each other because, like, during his sports report, mm-hmm. which is, is recorded, he, he says, like, tonight is game one between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los the Angeles Lakers. Lakers. No, it, 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 it's I don't know where that came because it's actually it's Game Seven between right. the Lakers have won, but it's Game Seven between the Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. That might be a sign, though. I mean, well, I, I'm I mean I'm I'm well, you know, there's all these people out there that think that there are these huge conspiracies that that go on in professional sports, and yep. they always make sure like the teams from the big markets win. Now that doesn't explain why the New York Knicks have been just so awful <laughs> for decades, but. But yeah, there's always this thing that if, if you've got the team from the small town mm-hmm. playing against the team from the big city, it's all because you want the ratings. You know, you'd rather yep, have yep. Los Angeles. That's a much better matchup than Denver. Potentially, but, yeah, exactly. In but, LA Western Conference Finals, the NBA would not be upset about that, I don't think. Right. So, but but we we do not know where Greg got that tonight. <laughs> tonight, the game it's it's the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals between yes, Miami was, and Boston. Yep. And then the second game of the doubleheader is Game Seven between the Clippers and between the Nuggets. Correct. So that one's at tonight at 8. So, yeah. Still game 7, 3-3. Three, three. So, we'll see if the... Got it. And he, right he might, right, he just might, you know, I mean, I, he just might know something. <laughs> it was just, he said it in such a definitive fashion. I'm thinking, huh. Right. I mean, wonder, wonder if this guy, he's our sports guy. wonder if he's got some inside knowledge there. Do Clippers I? are seven-point favorites right around 7 Exactly. And a half, do so. I call up one of right? my friends in Las Vegas and say, run over to the MGM sports book? And, yeah, lay it down. Yeah. Um, I think I'll pass on that. <laughs> it's okay. Or it could just be, he made a mistake. So, we'll, we'll lump that. Hey, before we move on to the next segment, I do, I, I've been actually, absolutely bombarded with, uh, texts and emails about that piece that was in the Washington Post today. And again, I, I'm not making any sort of predictions, although I, I think it hit home. The, the point of the writer was, hey, I didn't vote for Trump in 2016, but and, and you know what? There's all sorts of stuff that Trump does that I don't like and things that I find distasteful, but I'm, I'm really afraid of where the country could go if Joe Biden gets elected president. That That's sort of the the essence of this. Let me just share a couple more texts before we move on. Uh, and, and of course, and, and then my, my thinking is, again, I, I'm not saying I think the polls are wrong. I do think that Trump's support is broader and deeper than is, and wider than is being picked up in some of these polls, because I think people are uh, afraid to acknowledge it. If you say you support Trump, then people automatically assume that, you know, you're, that you're a racist, that you're, um, you know, that you're stupid, all, all those different things. And I think people, some people just, they just don't want the, the aggravation. Here's a couple of texts. Jeff, yes, yes, yes. I'm a 39 year old female who's always voted Democrat and has been a supporting member of the Democratic Party, but I am 100% feeling the same thing that the article was expressing. My husband has always voted Republican and is a police officer. We've managed for seven years to handle our political differences because we are respectful of each other and know that um, each other comes to our decisions intelligently. I feel so abandoned by the Democrats. There's no common sense in their actions. I can't stand Trump, but he is the devil that, you know, you know. Um, he is the devil that you 
No. From day one, I immediately felt that Trump was a big bully, later finding out what a womanizer he is. On top of that, I think that he is a pathological liar. I would never, ever be able to vote for him. Jeff, my wife won't let me put up a Trump sign in our yard out of fear, but we are both silently supporting Trump. I personally don't buy the numbers. Jeff, I'm not pro-Trump, but I am pro-Trump policies. I can't admit to support him with my vote because my peers believe I support him in general. Jeff, I think Trump is going to win in a landslide. A landslide. I don't know about that. Jeff, I didn't vote for either frontrunner last time. I will be voting for this time. Um, Sadly, I also can't advertise this. Um, You know, interestingly enough. So, again, I I, I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out. I do think it's more volatile, like I say, than, than people think. And... And I'm not predicting this, but if you do have some major developments on the vaccine front, that has the potential to change the dynamic as well. So hang on, hang on to your hat seven weeks until the election, although I realize lots of people are going to be voting before that rolls around. But uh, seven weeks until the election. All right. During the 12 o'clock hour of the program yesterday, we had I, I did something I almost never do, which is devoted the entire hour to a topic because the, the phone lines just absolutely jammed up and uh, the, the number of tweets, I, I can't tell you. I mean, in, in the hundreds of tweets, people reacting to this. And, and there's a follow-up today. Here, here's, here is the bottom line. For whatever reason, the, the mask mandate that Governor Evers put into effect a month and a half ago it's not working. I mean, I, I think I think you. It's I think that's fair. If you look at the last week, the number of COVID nineteen cases is is like at an all time high, twenty percent positivity rate. By by any objective standards, we're not getting control of the virus. Now, the good news behind all that is that the people who are getting sick are by and large. Younger people, like we were talking about in the last hour of the show, you know, people who go to college campuses and stuff like that, so that the hospitalization rate hasn't gone up. As a matter of fact, it's gone down, and the the death total is not going up anywhere near in proportion to the the number of people who are getting sick. I had a caller in the first hour of the program. Um, a 20-year-old from Madison says, hey, I'm out in Madison. I know I know lots of friends have tested positive, but but nobody has any sort of symptoms at all. So you, nobody wants to get COVID, but the people that are getting COVID apparently are younger, they're healthier, at least short-term, they're not experiencing adverse reactions, whereas people who are older, more vulnerable, aren't, aren't getting as sick, presumably because... We're taking more precautions and we're not going out to the giant keggers and, and things like that. But no matter how you look at it, I mean, we were told, OK, putting on the masks, that that's going to be kind of the magic bullet. And it hasn't worked out that way. Now, there's a couple reasons for it. Maybe it's because people aren't following the mask mandates. All right. Maybe just because people aren't paying attention to it. Um, maybe it's that masks aren't as effective in preventing the spread as we've been told. Or I guess the third alternative is as bad as it is, it would be even worse if we didn't have the mask rules. OK, that, th- those are all the different cat factors that are out there. But but again, we don't have a handle on the spread of covid at this point in time. Now, the mask mandates expire at the end of the month. I don't think the governor 
even believes that he has the legal authority to extend the mask mandate beyond 60 days, which, again, I think would be September 28th without the approval of the legislature. And my guess is the legislature won't approve it. Tony Evers might try to continue it, but I, I, I think it's pretty clearly clear that that's going to be illegal. That doesn't mean, though, that he might not do other things. Story in the Chicago Tribune yesterday and an Illinois is in the same situation Wisconsin is. I mean, Illinois had the mask mandates. Illinois had the various shutdowns. And, and the COVID numbers in Illinois are, you know, they're, they're going up to. So, the, like, the mask mandate, again, for whatever reason, it, it's, it's not stopping the, the growth of, of the virus. So the governor of Illinois, who in many respects, his name is J.D. Pritzker, he's kind of a train wreck on a lot of different levels. But but he says, okay, look, here 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 is the deal. Um, if if we don't get a handle on this and these numbers continue to go up, and keep in mind we've got the flu season that, that's coming up. They just started, I think, September first, giving you know flu shots. But you're going to have people with COVID nineteen. You're going to have the people you know with the flu who are going to be going in as well. And the governor says, you know, look, he says, we were the second state in the U.S. by a few hours, I think, to put a stay-at-home order in. And if we needed to do that, the answer is it worked. He says it works. And so if we have to do it again, um, I would not hesitate to do it. So the governor of Illinois is saying, I am willing to shut down the state like I did six months ago. He said, I'm not at that point now, but if it doesn't get better, I'm willing to shut down the state. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's some real legal issues that as to whether Tony Evers would have the authority to do that uh, again. But putting those aside, it, it's my belief that the citizens of Wisconsin would simply not tolerate a, a second shutdown. I don't know what plan B is, but I don't think that we can go back to where we were in March. I don't think we can close down all the restaurants again. I don't think we can close down the bars. I don't think we can close down the dog rumors and the luggage shops and all the small businesses. I think that ship has sailed. All right. If we don't get more of a handle on this, if the numbers don't change over the course of the next couple weeks or the next month or two, and I'm not sure until there's a vaccine that there's any reason to believe that they will, you know, change. All right. Should we shut down the state again? Would people tolerate it? My answer is no. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so we've, we've had a statewide mask mandate for six weeks. The numbers of COVID cases are, are going up and, and up. And, and maybe it's because people, particularly younger people, aren't following the mandates. Maybe it's because they don't work like they're advertised to. I, I don't know. Don't, don't care. It, it, but it's just the reality. So now the question becomes, as we are heading into flu season, should Wisconsin consider doing what the governor of Illinois says he's willing to do, which is to go back to March and try to shut down the state again? 
I just don't think that I don't think people would put up with it. I just think that whatever the plan B is, it can't be where we were in March. Here's a text, Jeff. Absolutely not. The state economy can't handle another two week episode of fear factor. I say open everything up. Let's roll with it. There's nothing else we can do. The last thing that we need is another you know, shut down. Jeff, the jump in positive cases is almost exclusively from the 18, 24-year-olds. No, we will not accept another shutdown. We flattened the curve a while ago. Hospitalizations and deaths are way down. Um, Jeff, this has to come down to personal choice. I go to work. I'll get with groceries I need. I'll run a few errands that I have to get done, and that's it. I don't go to restaurants or bars or parties or weddings. I won't do any of that. Okay, let's start with uh, Peter in Delavan. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Peter. I think that we won't tolerate, like you said, another set of shutdowns and the longer it goes you know if governor evers gets to you know um do the mask order again the more that people will disregard it and and outright flaunt it mm-hmm. and i also do believe that you know the the, the people say that you know we're going to have all these terrible you know numbers of people that will die from the coronavirus but i think the coronavirus is going to do what it's going to do regardless if we mask up or if we go face naked well 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 peter i mean i i guess here here's here's the thing and i i think i think what you're seeing is that people are are making choices you can argue people are making bad choices but people are making choices the if if you are older if you are in one of the more vulnerable risk groups, I think what you're seeing is that people are taking precautions. I'm, look, my wife and I aren't running to keggers. We're, we're not running into the, these giant social settings. We, we wear masks when we go inside to, to different stores and, and things like that. We socially distance. We, we don't have large parties. I mean, do, do I hang out on patios with, with my friends and my social circle? Yeah, I, I do. Do I run to a place and stand like shoulder to shoulder with like 3,000 of my closest friends? No, I, I don't. But I, I think that's the decision that, that people are, are making. And I don't know, maybe if I was 20 years old instead of how old I am, maybe I, I take a different position on this. But, you know, we, we are, at least as far as hospitalization, seeing the curve being being flattened. Look, I, I, I wish, you know, you, you didn't have the, the giant outbreaks among the college campuses and stuff. But the good news for that, at least so far, is it's not leading to more hospitalizations. But regardless, I just I, I don't think this this shotgun approach of let's close everything down, I, I don't think. I just I don't think people would accept it anymore. Much moreover, I, I I don't think it would make any any sense uh, unless you can trace the spread of of COVID nineteen, for example, to the the dog room or, or the luggage shop or the small hardware store or the small jewelry store. There's no reason to close it down. I mean, if if you want to. If you want to be targeted, if you want to say, okay, this is this is where we think the spread of COVID is coming, and we think it's because this group of people is going to this type of place, well, maybe you can argue for a surgical type of thing. But but to just try to close down the state again, like they're talking about, or at least the governor of Illinois says he's willing to do, to me is absolutely absurd. Charlie in Greenbush. Charlie, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Charlie. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my view is 
if people currently would adhere to what is the law on wearing masks when they're out in public in a restaurant slash store, we maybe wouldn't even have to have this discussion. I, I just recently was in an establishment here that has it posted on the door, wear masks, and there where probably half the customers were not wearing masks. Yeah. And no. it just no. bugs my butt. Yeah, no, thank you. There's, there's no question, and that's... There's no question that there's large-scale noncompliance, but at the same time, that's also the reality. So then, then the question becomes: Do we want to? Do you want to start arresting people for not wearing masks? And nobody wants to do that. Do you want to start handing out huge individual fines for not wearing masks that people aren't going to pay? And, and nobody wants to do that. Um, you know, in Madison, they've got an order that says, all right, if you go over to somebody else's house, you're supposed to wear a mask indoors. That's ridiculous. It's, it's completely unenforceable. So. You know, what What do we do? Okay, now here's the text where it says, people aren't going to stand for it. Well, if Governor Evers shuts down the state, what are people going to do? Nothing. If we're shut down, then we're shut down, period. Well, okay, we've got a mask rule, and, and nobody's following that. Okay, do, can you can you imagine? Now, look, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Evers recall, but can you imagine if the governor decides to say, okay, I, I want to go back to where we were in March, and I want to close down those luggage stores, and I want to unemploy all these people, and I want to destroy the economy? Well, at, at that point in time, you know that, of course, everybody then is going to be flooding into the courthouse to try to get that overturned, but... I just think politically that is just unacceptable, especially if you don't have the legislature behind you. And trust me, the legislature is not going to be behind another massive shutdown. Surgical stuff, you know, maybe. But we, we have to be smarter. We I, And that's what was so frustrating to me when I saw the governor of Illinois talking about this. What 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 they did before was an overreach. And to not have learned from that and not recognize that we need to modify our approach just has me shaking my head. But, of course, this is the same governor. Now we have the governor of Wisconsin who says, I wouldn't have done anything different in the Kenosha riots. Well, okay, does that mean he wouldn't do anything different now if he's got to uh, confront with the increasing numbers of COVID cases? That, That just doesn't make sense to me. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Do you own a local business or do you know somebody that does? This is, I want to just take a step and kind of get away from the script I have in front of me. This is really a cool contest that we are running in connection with our friends at Associated Bank. And I know some people might hear this and they say, I don't understand what this is all about. It can't be legit. No, it really is. Okay, so do you know a lo- own, do you own a local business? Do you know somebody who does? Well, one small business could win a $50,000 advertising campaign. Yeah, that 50000 bucks. Here, News Radio 620 WTMJ is teaming up with Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed through these talent challenging times. So to nominate a company or group, go to the website. It's rebuildingwibusiness.com by September 27th. Okay, so today's the the 15th, so that's less than two weeks. One deserving business is going to walk away with an advertising campaign valued at 50000 bucks. 
And again, there, there's no strings. It's all the rules. Go to the website. It, it's just a very, very cool contest that's been developed by us and our friends at Associated Bank. Time is running out. Head to rebuildingwibusiness.com now for all the rules, all the entry details. Um, Associated Bank is, of course, a member of the FDIC, but just check it out. Okay. We were talking earlier in the program about, you know, vaccinations and, and, you know, when will be there, when will a vaccine come out? And I, I mean, I, I don't know if, if you're going to have a, a, a COVID-19 vaccine by the time of the election or not. If you do, I, I think it, it's potentially, and I say potentially, that this game changer. But, but here's part of the reality. People don't get vaccinated. Now, I, I, I get the flu shot every year. We've talked about this before. I know there's lots of people who just make the decision not to do it, and they always tell me stories about the one year I got the flu shot was the year I got the flu. Okay, well, the flu shot is not 100% effective, but I, I guess I, I believe in it, and even though I got the flu shot last year, and I did get influenza A, there's no question in my mind that I, I was sick for a day. I, I was really sick for a day. I would have been really sick for a week if I hadn't gotten it. So I'm a believer in in the flu shot. And when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine, you're not going to have to talk me into it. Now, do I want to be a guinea pig for it? No. But once we get something that's approved by the government, that's where I sit down. I have a conversation with my doctor. And if he says, Jeff, I, I think it's safe. I think you should take it. I trust my doctor. That's what I pay him the big money for. So I'm going to listen to the medical advice. But that's me. I know there's a lot of people that don't necessarily feel that way. Okay, well, here, here's the deal. If you want to eliminate coronavirus, COVID-19, what you're going to have to have happen is you're going to have to have a large number of people who make the decision to get vaccinated. Because here's the deal. No vaccine is 100% effective, which means that even if you get vaccinated, that doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be protected. If enough people get vaccinated, though, that means society is going to develop herd immunity. In other words, there's not going to be enough people around there to get sick and then then pass it on. So that's what you're ultimately trying to do. Um, nobody knows for sure. But the estimates are to get that herd immunity, you're going to need to have at least 70 percent of the population who either gets vaccinated or who has had covid and, and isn't going to get it again. OK, that, that's what you need for for herd immunity to essentially eradicate the disease. Well, the problem with that is if you look at the if you look at the polls right now and again, take that with what you say, but only only about 44 percent of Americans right now, when they say if there's a if there's a vaccine that comes out, would you take it? Only about 44 percent say yes, only 44 percent. And, you know, that that's way below what you need to have for that herd immunity. And there's all sorts of reasons why people decide that they're, they're not going to get it. But once we get this vaccine, there's still going to be a real push to try to encourage people to get it. All right. Which brings me to a study that came out by the, the Brookings Institution, which is a kind of this left-wing think tank. And what they were saying is, okay, if, if we if we're trying to get more people to get the vaccine, what's the best way we could do that? You, you could talk till you're blue in the face about how it's safe and effective and all those type of things. Well, people, they're going to believe what they want to believe. All right. So Brookings Institute says that that's not how we do it. 
If you want to get people to take the vaccine, you know what you do? You pay them. And the estimate is, and I'm looking at the report right now, to get people, this is what it says, um, probably in order to get people to, to take the vaccine, you'd probably have to pay them at least about $1,000 a piece. At, at that level, a family of four would get $4,000. And they estimate that if you, if you did that, if you paid people to get the vaccine, that would, would get you above that 70 to 80% vaccination threshold that we were talking about for herd immunity. So, and, and this, okay, so this is what the Brookings Institute says. It got picked up, and now there's a story in the New York Times about, and the argument is, once a reliable vaccine exists, it won't stop, and the pandemic doesn't stop unless people are willing to take it, and the best way you can get people to take it are to pay them then they say you think it would probably have to be a thousand bucks a piece. Hundred bucks won't do it. Five hundred bucks won't do it. But you pay somebody a thousand bucks in order to get vaccinated. You make it tax free, preferably, and people will be lining up to take it. All right, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we, we being the taxpayers, we being the government, should the government be paying us? to take the vaccine or is this just something that you know we we should know enough to do on our own we shouldn't have to be bribed to do something 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line and and put another way if you are one of those people who was not planning on being vaccinated if the government dangled a thousand dollar check in front of you would that change your mind 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss. Now, of course, like I say, I, you, you wouldn't have to pay me to get it. My doctor says, get it, Jeff. Jeff is getting the vaccine. My doctor says, I think it's safe. I trust my doctor. You don't have to pay me. On the other hand, if you want to give me a 1000 bucks to take the vaccine, I'll say thank you. 855-616-1620. Should we pay people to get vaccinated? We discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Like I say, my doctor says, Jeff, get the get the COVID nineteen vaccine. I think it's safe. It's effective. You don't have a history of having adverse reactions to shots. I, I'm going to do it. But a lot of people aren't. So this idea is being floated around, and this is it's kind of a serious idea. Pay everybody a thousand bucks. And then maybe you get that 70 to 80 percent number that you need. The estimates are about 275 B as in billion dollars. Not cheap. But if you pay people a thousand bucks, would that motivate people to do it? Um, Jeff, I do not plan on getting a shot, nor do I get the flu shot. But to tell you the truth, a thousand dollars would make a difference in my mind. And um, at, at that point, I would think about it. I don't think the government should be paying. Uh, I don't know where we would get the money for this. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Dan in Appleton. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Well, I have kind of a two-part answer. The first is, no, I do not believe people should have to be paid uh, if there's a safe vaccine. I think it's part of your your duty. 
But the other side of that is with the Donald Trump administration and the lie after lie after lie for the last three and a half years, I don't trust them to have an actually safe vaccine. Um, I can see him using that as a way of thinning the voter pool. Okay, so let's say they develop a vaccine in November. Trump loses in November. Biden takes over in January. It's the same vaccine. Would you get vaccinated then? If it were retested and they went through um, due diligence, that it was truly safe under a new administration. Okay. All right. So, as so, let me let's say Trump wins in November. We we have the vaccine. It comes out in October. We we have the vaccine. Trump wins. He's going to be the president for the next four years. Um, are, are you just are you not going to get the vaccine? Period. Or do you want to, are you going to wait a year? Or what do you think is going to happen then? I would have to wait and see. Uh, but it would take a lot to convince me that anything truthful came out of that man's mouth. Okay, thank, thanks for call. And I, you know, it, it it's kind of interesting because when you when you look at these polls, it's actually it's a lot more Democrats. If you want to break this down, I got the numbers here. What does it say? Um, fifty six percent of Democrats say that that they would get the get the vaccine just 36 percent of republicans say they'd get the vaccine now that was a situation the other way around democrat who said no, I, I just don't trust donald trump i don't want any part of it would a thousand dollars change that dynamic joe in appleton joe you're on wtmj hi joe hi jeff hi um yeah the um thousand dollars uh would not um, coerce me into a vaccine. Uh, it would have to be, you know, not to say that I could not be bought off because <laughs> I could, right? But, and I think anybody could, but they're not going to give away that much money. Right. Um, but there would be the problem is, is I believe there would be some sort of document that you would probably have to sign off on that you could never hold the manufacturer responsible for anything that might happen to you right uh, as a result of really not having enough time to test this thing out right right well let me ask you this do you if it wouldn't affect you do you think a lot of people let, let's say they offered a thousand bucks for everybody who gets vaccinated just for the sake of argument do you think that would inspire a large number of people who wouldn't otherwise have gotten vaccinated to get vaccinated absolutely and that, and if they're looking for a certain number They'll get, they'll get it. Yeah, they're I mean, only a thousand bucks. They'll definitely get that herd, whatever they're looking for. Okay, so if that's the case, does it make it? If that's if that's what you have to do to get us to that that herd, you know, meant that to the herd immunity. If that's what you have to do, is it worth it to try to do that then? Absolutely. These pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies have enough money to do that, and yeah. they'll end up getting it back from the government anyway. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. I, pre- I mean, I, I throw this out there, and, I, and again, I may, maybe I'm in a different situation. If if, if I look, I guess and this is how I look at it. If, if I if if I think it's safe and effective, if, and and again, I'm 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 relying on Doctor Dan there, you know, and I'm 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 counting on him to have my best interest at heart because he does he tells me to do all this other stuff. So if, if he says get your flu shot, Jeff, I get the flu shot. So I I I mean I I, I trust the medical professionals. If I don't trust my doctor, well, then I should have a, a different doctor, it seems to me. So for me, if if it's safe 
and effective, and it's going to help me not get COVID-19. You're not going to have to pay me to, to do it. I'm, I'm going to be standing in line to get that shot. And if it's not safe, and I think it's going to make me sick and maybe have all sorts of um, long-term problems, well, then $1,000 isn't going to be enough to get me to risk my health. So I guess for, for me, to be honest with you, I, I mean, if you're going to give me $1,000 to get a shot I would otherwise get, you know, go with God. I'll, I'll Sure, I can certainly use that 1000 bucks. On the other hand, if... If I've decided it's not safe and effective, a thousand bucks isn't going to be enough to get me to put my health on the line. Here's a text, Jeff. My life and health is worth more than a thousand dollars. There's no way in heck a hastily developed vaccine is going into my body. I've worked in chemistry for 40 years. Um, and my friend who works for a no well-known pharmaceutical company, she says that she won't do it either. Jeff, why do people insist on getting paid for doing the right thing? Next, they'll want the government to pay them to cut their grass and maintain their house. Jeff, I would not take the money if it's a vaccine that Trump promotes. He is not to be trusted. He wanted people to drink poison as a cure. I think that's that's kind of overdone, but all right. Um, Jeff, they pay people to try every medication that comes on the market. Well, this isn't, keep in mind, this isn't the this isn't to test. This isn't, hey, we want you to be part of a, of a focus group and we're going to pay you for that. This is, you know, this is the vaccine we have out there. And rather than make you pay for it, what we're going to do is we're going to we're, we're going to pay you a thousand bucks. Now, I I I am not an advocate for this. I don't think people should have to be paid to make them do the right thing. I think what you're better off doing is just trying to encourage people, and if this is in fact safe and effective, encourage people that this this is what you have to do to try to help get rid of coronavirus, COVID-19, so we can all get back to this sense of, of normal. I mean, I don't think you should get into the habit of having to pay people to, again, do public safety matters. At the same time, I, if 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 you want to boost the numbers, you you pay people five hundred a thousand bucks, and you're going to do that. Um, Rhoda in Greenfield, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how's Hi. everybody doing today? I am well, thank you. What do you think? A thousand bucks to get the vaccination? Sure. No, I wouldn't get paid to do it. If I honestly believed it would help me, I would get it. But if it came out tomorrow, I would pass. It's way too soon. It's it just, there is nothing to, to prove that it's safe. Um, I think this is just all a, a plot on Trump's campaign. He just wants to win, and he's thinking, oh, if we give the people a vaccine and pay them, you know, he's a, it, it's way too soon. And I think by the time, if and when there is a safe vaccine, it's going to be too late. I really think there's going to be a new strain of the virus by that time, and so the vaccine will be ineffective. Um, the whole the whole thing is just absurd. America so what, how do you see this all? Uh, help me, Rhoda. How do you see this all playing out then? That just that that we're we're going to be living in a pandemic world for the rest of your life and my life is, is that's what you, is that how you see it going? Well, I hope not. I'm older, and I'm kind of I'm upset that you know my older years now have been spent at home. But I also have very good reasons to be home because of not my health, but uh, sure. my children. They, they and I won't go into detail, but and I will do anything to protect my kids. But I think we're going to see this pandemic for quite some time because people are selfish. There are too many self-centered people out there who think they have a right 
to not wear a mask and to not social distance and to go out and have fun because they want to. It's just absurd. I just can't believe this is America. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Um, I guess bottom line is I, I'm not set. I'm not set on the thousand dollar payouts. I, I think that you shouldn't have to get a thousand bucks to to end up doing what what ultimately is the right thing. And like I said earlier, for me at least, would I like a thousand bucks? Yes. If this is something that's going to make me healthy and safe, you're not going to have to pay me a thousand bucks to do it. And if it's something that I think there's risks associated with, well, then a thousand bucks isn't going to be enough to to take those risks. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. All right. Um, one very serious topic and then one lighter topic. As a matter of fact, Gru, you were not yesterday, but we, we did we did the same thing. And in the uh, like 2.30 hour of the program, actually, uh, Jordan, who's filling in, he's like, Okay, I, you know, I've been doing a double shift, and then we, we talked about manual transmission cars. Actually, it was a fun topic, and, and the phone lines just absolutely exploded, and the, the text line exploded and all. And, and, and when we do that, 95% of the feedback I get is, well, we're glad to see that you're talking about something other than politics or COVID-19 or the protests or whatever. And then, then about 5% is, don't you realize that the world is getting ready to end, and how dare you, how dare you talk about anything other than that, to which... My, my response is always, well, I, I, we, we try to do have a balance of things on this program. I was actually just kind of doing the math. Um, 49 days between now and the election, I counted up during the break, I have 36 shows. 36 shows between now and the election, three hours a day. I'm not planning on taking any more time off. So, I mean, not to say that I might not grab a day here or there, but I'm, I'm not planning on it. So that translates, I have 108 hours of radio by my count between now and the elections. And I assure you, that we're going to spend a lot of that talking about the elections and continuing to talk about the social justice movements and rioting and protests, and we're going to continue to talk about COVID and all that. But in the space of 108 hours between now and the election, I, I can I can sneak in 20 minutes here or there on some lighter topics as well, and we will continue to do that just to kind of spread stuff out. All right, a serious topic, and this is something that I, I, I swear I do not understand how the state of Wisconsin could have let it get this bad. In March, when the COVID pandemic hit, when we had the safer-at-home orders, when the economy of the state was largely shut down, what happened is you had an incredibly large number of Wisconsinites that were forced out of jobs. Now, some of the forcing out of jobs was because the government shut down their businesses, some of it was just because of ordinary market means that, you know, okay, we're not going to make you shut down, but nobody's going out and shopping. But but there's no question that you had um, an, an inordinate number of Wisconsinites that were suddenly without jobs, and that meant without income. And we all hear about how we should have six months or a year or whatever worth of, of money saved up, but that's not the, the reality. And especially for a lot of people who last December – thought they had secure jobs, never thought that they would lose their jobs, and then through no fault of their own, boom, their their jobs are, are gone, and in many cases, the jobs aren't coming back. All right, so what was the lifeline? The lifeline was unemployment compensation. Now, in Wisconsin, 
All right. Typically, you can get a couple hundred dollars a week. And then you had the federal program on top of that, which gave people six hundred dollars a week. So you're, you're getting money that's helping you pay your rent. That's helping you buy groceries. That's helping you, you know, pay for gasoline and things of, of the like. But for that to work, you've got to get the unemployment claims processed. And in Wisconsin, we have done an abysmal job of getting those unemployment claims processed to the point, and I'm looking at, this was what, it came out on Friday, I think, nearly, get this, 11% of unemployment claims filed by Wisconsin residents are still waiting to be processed. There's a backlog of, that. that's a backlog of six months. Almost 700,000 claims are waiting on adjudication. In other words, there, there's some question that's there, and they, they have to figure out are the people entitled to it or not. That represents, get this, almost 100,000 people waiting on unemployment payments. Now, the governor says, well, it's unacceptable to be waiting four months to know whether you're going to get unemployment benefits. And mark the tape on this one. This is something that the governor and I agree on. Yes, it is unacceptable that you have 100,000 people who've been waiting, in many cases, six months to find out whether they're eligible for this. Um, and the governor goes on to say, well, it's possible that out of that 100,000 that you know some people might not be entitled to it, which is all well and good. But at the same time, there's going to be a good chunk of that. I don't know if it's 50,000 out of 100,000. I don't know if it's 70,000, but it's going to be people who are entitled to the dough and haven't been able to get it. Um, more than 6.3 million weekly claims um, were received through September 2nd, and you know that they've processed 5.7 million. But that still leaves get this inordinate number of claims, 700,000 claims which have not been processed, affecting about 100,000 people. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This cannot be, and, and, it, and it can't have been allowed to have gone on this long. I understand at the very beginning you had the unemployment comp people that were just overwhelmed. I, I get it. And they weren't able to process stuff soon enough. But we've had six plus months of this. And with all due respect, it, it, it needs more than lip service. It's something that should have been a priority. And again, I, I don't know out of this 100,000 people that are still waiting to be determined whether they get unemployment or not, I, I, I don't know if ultimately it's going to be 20,000 or 50,000 or 80,000 people who get it. But I do know that for that 100,000 people that haven't gotten this adjudicated and for whatever percentage are ultimately going to get it, it's just it is unacceptable to tell them, okay, you just have to wait and you have to wait and you have to wait. And, and this is... This is a complete and total failure of the bureaucracy. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did you get caught up in this? The, the delays and the delays and the delays in getting an unemployment claim processed. Are you still one of those people that are caught up in this? 
And is it reasonable to expect people who are entitled to these benefits to wait six months? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry. In my opinion, this is nothing This is nothing short of, of an absolute and total scandal. And if we were talking about, I don't know, 1%, if we were talking about like like 1,000 people, oh, okay, all right, I understand. There's always going to be people that fall through the cracks. There's always going to be tough cases. We're talking about almost 100,000 people who are still waiting to have the state decide whether they get this money that they're entitled to or not. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Look, I I understand we have an antiquated system, and I understand the unemployment system got overwhelmed in March, where all of a sudden all these people get thrown out of work. But now it's six months later, and, and now they're telling people, "Hey, you know, you might not have an answer before the end of the year. How how do we do that?" Here's a text, Jeff. I know exactly what's wrong with my unemployment claim. Because it's in adjudication, there is no one to talk to. They have no number for that. I have to wait for them to contact me on a first-come, first-served basis. I know what the discrepancy is. It could have been fixed months ago, but I can't <laughs> I can't get anybody to talk to. I mean, you know, seriously. Um, all right, let's talk to... Bill in Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Good to hear your voice. Hi, Bill. Thanks. We just got a deposit in our checking account for $1,200 dated on the 10th, and I was really tickled. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the way it went. We've been waiting for a while, but... Thank God it happened. How long had you been waiting for the... When, when did you file your claims? Uh, April. Okay, so you've been waiting since April. Was there was there a, a question as to its validity? Were you tied up in this adjudication thing? What what happened? Short in, in No, your... it's just red tape. All okay. it is is red tape. It's going to get done. Yeah. Well, and I, God help everybody else. <laughs> well, that, no, th- thanks for calling. But well, you're, you're you're remarkably optimistic about it. No, I'm, look, and I, I I understand it's red tape. See, that's see that's the frustrating thing uh, about this. And I, I think a lot of it does tie back to like what one of our texters was saying. I I, I get it. There, there's obviously. When we've talked to people, there, there's something about like one week or, or whatever that, that's got something red flagged. And in many cases, it's really, really simple. But you, you need to be able to just talk to somebody who say, yeah, I, I, I understand. It's it's this one week in February that, that's got this all hung up or maybe I was between this job or that job or whatever. And, and all you need is like that that two-minute conversation with somebody and they go, oh, okay, this is all taken care of. But you, you can't get that let's talk to bill bill you're on wtmj hi hi bill thanks for being on the yeah sure so uh, i'm in the middle of that same um adjudication situation i filed for unemployment in early june when i was let go from my company and apparently that company told the unemployment office that i was fired and so they needed to determine if i'm eligible or not okay and it's been waiting since then. I've called a couple of times, 
Um, one time I just sat on hold for like an hour and hung up. And then another time I talked to someone pretty quickly, but they basically told me there's nothing I can do. There's no information that's needed from me. There's nothing at all that's needed to process. They just need to go through and work through the backlog. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so then I, I called my state representatives here in Delfield, and they're actually in the process of intervening on my behalf and are um, hoping to expedite it. Uh, right. They also asked me um, if it was an urgent need, like am I going to be possibly evicted or am I having trouble you know, make, paying bills, which very luckily for myself and my family were okay financially, but um, right. I just... Well, yeah, but it's frustrating. That there are that are, that are hurting, and it's the state's just like, yeah, can't do anything about it. See you well, later. Well, right. No, th- thanks for calling. And again, in in, in your situation, I'm not trying to minimize it, but like you say, you're you're not you're not on the verge of getting evicted or whatever. But can you imagine people who have this goes back to this goes back to March, you know, and are still waiting for claims to be adjudicated? And, and by the way, I understand that at least in the beginning, this isn't completely Evers's fault. The 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 Doyle administration, the Walker administration. This whole unemployment situation, the whole structure was not modernized. Somebody sent me a text saying that they've been waiting for a claim, and the person says, well, can you fax me some information? And they were like, what do you mean, can I fax you information? I mean, what, is this is this 2006 calling? You know, it's like, how about I email it, or how about I scan it and send it? No, no, we're, we, we need you to fax the stuff. So, look, I, I, I understand that the, the bureaucracy was ill-equipped to deal with this in March. Okay, that that's fair enough. But but it's March, April, May, June, July, August, September. And now we're telling people that we're not going to be able to deal with this September, October, November, December. I'm sorry, that that's that's unacceptable. You do what you you've got to do. And I understand that again it's perhaps neglect. Nobody anticipated this happening. And and, and yes, we now see that the system was antiquated and, and couldn't take this sudden spike. We understand that. But shouldn't have this have been a priority? And, and I guess I, if I were to say to the almost 100,000 people who are still waiting for their claims, yeah, you, you would have thought that we would do whatever we need to do. And keep in mind, a couple months ago, the governor said, hey, we're going to have this all worked out by September. And I can remember going on the radio saying, September, how can you make people wait till September? Now they're saying, well, uh, just just continue to be patient, maybe by the end of the year. Um, Ed in Appleton. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ed. Um, just want to pass on my daughter's experience. Um, she was an intern uh, working at an organization and, you know, going to school at the same time, online, of course. And um, so as soon as everything shut down, she was released immediately. And um, she she tried calling and everything like that. She was telling me she was calling 400 times a day um, just to try to get through. Right. And, that, and um, one of the things... Um, she went back and forth with the, the HR group, um, actually all the way to the director of HR at her organization. And uh, they told her that she was eligible for unemployment uh, because she was working full time all of the last summer and everything like that. But down to 32 hours while she was taking classes. Right. And um, she actually talked to somebody a couple of times and uh, they needed additional information. She went back and got that. And then. 
uh, eventually it got to the point she just she's given up mm-hmm. um, trying to get any unemployment and you know and and then all of her friends are getting the you know the twelve hundred dollars and yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah no and, it, and it's got to be frustrating now. so she she but just because, caught she just caught up in the, this huge bureaucratic system and can't even find anybody that will pull out her case file and 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 make a decision one way or the other about whether she's entitled to the money. Right, right. And, you know, the answers that she got from the state, you know, she took back to HR and they said, no, no, they've got to look at it this way. And um, right. so it's just, it's, it's, a mess. it's too bad. And, and it really, you know, it, it she has no money and, yeah. you know, thankfully we're able to support her in that, but uh, it's it's just really sad. And she, she was making $15 an hour. It was, it was yeah. a great job for her. Yeah, um, no, it's adding. No, it, it, thanks to the call. No, it, it's adding insult to injury because you've lost the job through no fault of your own. Okay, that that's that's fine. But then, if you're entitled to these payments, you don't get it. Here's a text, Jeff. My dad is a victim of this silliness. Six months, six months. It's been awful. He hasn't received a penny, and no one will help. Okay, look, I I understand. Uh, again antiquated system wasn't prepared but at some point in time don't we have to start owning this and don't we have to say okay we're going to bring in enough people and we're going to bring in enough adjudicators and we're at least going to get bodies that are able to look at these accounts and tell people okay i've got your file in my hand here's what the problem is and then you know make a decision and look i if if you're going to deny people's claims people will understand that then there's a process but just to make people hang in limbo like this unacceptable, period.